Luke 11, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's God's word. And then the summary of God's word in Lord's Day 45, the 45th lesson in the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, we're using this Bible study series as we go through prayer. Just as a little aside here, uh, you might be interested to know the Heidelberg Catechism, it's not really a book, it's a catechism, it's a short piece, but it's the third most popular, third most sold a Christian book of all time. Did you know that? The Bible is number one. This is worldwide and in our country. Uh, the Bible's number one. Number two is Pilgrim's po- Progress by John Bunyan. Number three is this Bible study series. So this isn't just something that our church happens to have in the back of the Psalter. Well, this is something Christians for hundreds of years have used and still do to this day. And it's, it's really good. And that's, that's why... We're using it together. The first question here, and we're going to be following this pretty closely. Um, up here you don't see it, but if you, le- if you have your Psalter hymnal open or you look later, you see a lot of footnotes. And those footnotes are tons of Bible text. So this is just immersed in what the Bible tells us about prayer. Why do Christians need to pray? Well, it's because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? So this is like tips on how to pray. First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what he promised us in his word. And then finally, there's this question. What did God command us to pray for? Well, everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. And that is uh, the summary of God's word from 
Lesson 45 of the Heidelberg Bible Study Series. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we were, as many of you might be aware, we were supposed to start this prayer series a few weeks back, uh, but God had other plans, didn't he? With Pastor Mike, we looked at your kingdom come, your will be done last week, and God's will will be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven, despite uh, the best form plans that we might have. And, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing because he definitely knows what's best for us. Even if when we're in the midst of things, in the midst of life, we sometimes wonder, why are you doing this, God? But, but God's will will be done, and that's good because his plans, his will is best. He's got the big picture in mind. And more than the big picture in mind, he has you, his child, in mind. And he has me as his child in mind, in his plans and in his will. As, as one of you said on, on Care Pages a little while back, God wanted us to spend some time in prayer and some time on our knees fervently before we talked about prayer, before we had this sermon series. Last fall... We had a sermon series called Faith Foundations. Do you remember that? Faith Foundations. And there we studied pretty thoroughly the biblical foundations of the church as we see them in our church's mission statement. And that's, there's a whole pamphlet on that in the back. It's summarized on the front of the bulletin on the bottom. Experience God's word, express God's love, equip God's people. Where does prayer fit in our mission statement? I feel like maybe uh, a couple of you have asked about that when, as we've been talking about our mission statement the last couple of years. Well, well, prayer permeates everything we do. When we think about our church and our mission statement and what God calls us to do, the mission statement is really what does the Great Commission, Jesus' command to his disciples, what does that look like here at Faith Christian Reformed Church? Well, the staff that God has given us as a church, our council, our elders and deacons, our leadership, our finances, our building, our facility, all of those sorts of things serve this church by supporting. Those are all supports of our mission statement. But prayer is the number one support of our mission statement. That's where prayer fits in. That's how it fits. And that's why we're really spending some time focusing in on prayer this fall, a whole sermon series. And, and we're doing that by looking at the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. We've already gotten halfway through the Lord's Prayer the last couple of weeks. The introduction, our Father who art in heaven, and the first three requests. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are the first three requests. There are three more. Today, we're going to back up just a little bit and talk about prayer more in general. If last fall was about faith foundations, well then today, this sermon, we might call prayer foundations. Some core truths about prayer that you need to know about, and I do too. First of all, number one, prayer is the most important part 
of the Christian life. Prayer is the most important part of your Christian life. Our Bible study says prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. Now, what is that thankfulness? Well, that's another way of talking about our entire Christian life, right? If you think about it, our thankfulness is our response to everything that God has done. In this Bible study series, the Heidelberg Catechism, we're taught about our sin and our need for God, first of all. Then we learn about our salvation and how God rescues us from our sin in Jesus Christ. And then we learn about serving God in response, how we thank him in response. How do we thank the Lord? Well, with our lives, with everything we are. The Ten Commandments that we studied most recently, not too long ago, uh, last spring in the evenings, the Ten Commandments tell us how to love God above all and how to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is how we thank God. That's how we thank God. We spend our lives, our hearts, our everything, everything that we are to say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And we say, Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my family and my children. Lord, I give you my talents. I give you my health. I give you my time. I give you my income. Because you have given me everything. Your only son, Jesus, on the cross. Lord, you've given me salvation. You've given me eternity and forgiveness and joy that no one can take away, assurance. We spend our whole lives, our everything, on saying thank you to God for all that he's done. And then we're told here, and this is amazing, and think about your life now. Then we're, so that's all true, but then we're told prayer as important as loving God above all, loving our neighbor as ourself, giving God our everything, we're then told, but prayer is the most important part of that thankfulness. Isn't that something else? As important as all the rest of this is, prayer is the most important part. John Calvin says, prayer is the chief exercise of our faith. Prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness. Why is that? How is that? Well, that's the case because prayer, and you could probably answer that in a number of ways, but what we're focusing on this morning, that, that is the case because prayer is the very fuel for your Christian life. Prayer is the fuel for your Christian life. That's why it's the most important part. Your car will not go anywhere without fuel. Have any of you ever run out of gas on the road? I want you to be honest. Have any of you ever run out of gas? Okay. You feel a little hesitation? Am I right? You check the gauge. You're on empty. Your heart sinks. 
you get kind of a sick feeling in your stomach. And then one of the next stages is feeling kind of stupid that you let it get that far and you're stuck. You try to get to the closest gas station. You hope you have enough. Maybe you can coast there. The car goes and goes. But then eventually it stops. There's no more gas. Prayer is like loading that fuel tank to the brim so your car can run. One philosophy with gas, with your car, that some people have is to let that tank get really low, kind of wait till near the end, and then fill the tank. Other people out there have a different philosophy. Some people don't let their gas tank ever get below half full. They, they keep that thing full. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to, how to put gas in your tank and which one of those you should choose. But I am going to tell you this. That philosophy should be our philosophy for prayer as Christians. That philosophy should be your philosophy for, for prayer. Don't ever let that gas tank, don't ever let it get below half empty. Keep it full. Prayer is the very fuel for your Christian life. It's that important. You look again at the strong statement from our Bible study. Listen to this. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask. Think about that. God gives his Holy Spirit and his grace only to those who ask. Prayer, depending on God, it's the key for your Christian life. It's the key for personal revival and vitality. It's key for your family's spiritual vitality in this tough world. Because when you pray, you're saying you can't do it on your own. And life is hard. We, we can't do it on our own. There are too many challenges. We need the Holy Spirit as much of him as the Lord will give us. We need God's grace as much of his grace as he'll pour out on us. There is only power and strength when we know that we are weak. And when we bring that fact to the Lord. Prayer is your source of power. Prayer is your fuel. And like gasoline, like oil, like fuel, it's extremely valuable. But unlike gasoline, it's free. It's free to you. That doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. Prayer cost something priceless. It cost the life and blood of Jesus who made atonement for our sins on the cross so that we can call God our Father and so that we can have access to him. But that price is not paid by you or me. It's already been paid by the Heavenly Father, by Jesus. And now that access to the Father, it's free for anyone who comes in faith. It's free when we come in the name of Jesus. Prayer, which you can use and have for free anytime, anywhere, is the fuel 
It's the fuel for your Christian life. And also, it's the fuel for the mission of the church. Prayer is the fuel for the mission of the church. Just like we need fuel for our Christian lives, our church needs fuel in order to run, in order to take off. And that fuel is prayer. That fuel is not collecting the largest staff of any church around. That fuel is not programs. That fuel is not a building or a facility. That fuel is not a can-do attitude. That fuel is not creativity and worship. That fuel is prayer. Revival. Renewal. Great things happen when there is first prayer. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask, who pray for those gifts of God. Often, when you look at the history of the church, which starts in the Old Testament, through Jesus into the New Testament today, when you look at the history of the church, you find that revival and reformation are preceded by prayer. In other words, there's prayer first. In the Old Testament, before the glory cloud of God filled the temple, that's God filling the temple with his presence, King Solomon was leading the people in prayer. Solomon had this vision for the temple. He built the structure, but it hadn't been filled with the glory of God yet. But God did fill the temple with his presence after intense and fervent prayer by his people. In the last couple of months, I I read through a pretty lengthy and substantial biography of Jonathan Edwards, who is... Uh, the greatest preacher and theologian in America's history, Jonathan Edwards. He lived in the 1700s. If you want to know anything about Jonathan Edwards, I can give you this biography, or I think it will be easier and better. Talk to Tom DeVries. That's my father-in-law. He's sitting right there next to Sarah, as always. He knows Jonathan Edwards well. We've had a lot of good conversations. He studied him thoroughly. Well, Edward's most well-known sermon, and I bet a bunch of you know this, his most well-known sermon is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Not a very cheery title. That's his most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But it helped, we know it to this day, it's his most well-known writing, his most well-known sermon. It helped to spur on a tremendous revival in his church and in the city where he ministered, the whole city. They say that sermon hit people so strongly, it was so powerful that the people in the church were gripping the pews in front of them for fear that they would slip into hell itself. That's how powerful this sermon made the reality of of hell and, and God's anger against sin. Well, that sermon we know and the revival and renewal that came as a result, it was preceded by many people being in fervent prayer the night before 
about the effectiveness of God's word being preached to the people. That's why the sermon had the effect it did. As a church, you know, Faith Church, it's Faith Christian Reformed Church. We're part of the Christian Reformed Church in North America. It's about a thousand churches in the United States and Canada. As a church, our denomination comes out of a revival and a reformation that happened right around 1834. I don't know if you were aware of that. We come out of a revival, out of a reformation in 1834. Well, that revival was preceded by many people meeting in their small groups in homes for Bible study and especially for prayer. They, they were praying in their small groups for the church. They were praying to the Lord for his grace and for his Holy Spirit to be poured out in their lives and in their country. Charles Spurgeon was a great pastor in England in the mid to late 1800s. Tremendous revival and renewal happened through his preaching. Spurgeon once gave a tour, and I think I might have told you this before. He once gave a tour of his church to some interested people. He showed them everything, the sanctuary and all that, and then he took them downstairs at the end of the tour to the underbelly of the church and said, this is where you'll find the true secret to this church and its ministry. And Spurgeon showed them dozens and dozens of people on their knees in prayer for their pastor, for their church, for the people. They were praying that the message of God's word through the ministry of their church would go out, that people would be transformed and changed. These prayer warriors were praying during the week, and they were praying during every single worship service. That's why Charles Spurgeon and that church were successful. Because of prayer. Because they asked God and God answered. How will God accomplish great things here? How will he accomplish his mission and his purpose for you and me and all of us together? God gives his grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask. Not to those who put it in the council minutes, not to those who put it on the front of the bulletin, but to those who ask, those who pray. That's how we're going to carry out what God wants us to together through prayer. It's the only way. As we learned not that long ago when we went through 2 Corinthians, God does stuff in our weakness. God brings his power when his people are on their knees. When we're weak, when we're together dependent on him, then the mighty acts of God follow. That's how it's always been. And that's how it is today too. In your life, that's how it's going to be. For your family, that's how it is for this church. That's the key to personal revival and spiritual vitality if it's going to happen. That, that's the key to revival and renewal in our church right here at Faith. And it can happen. And it can happen beyond that in our country. How will we see renewal and revival? If God's people will ask for God's grace and Holy Spirit. If we would be people of prayer. 
if we would be people of prayer. We're going to close today by looking at some key ingredients of true prayer. And, and these will hopefully help spur on our, our prayer life together. Essential ingredients of true prayer. Now, we're talking about ingredients. It makes me think of food. I have to say that my wife, and I, I, I probably said this before to her embarrassment, Sarah is an amazing cook. Sarah is an amazing baker. And I've learned in the last couple of months that a lot of you are too. We've been enjoying some amazing meals, some amazing baked goods. Thank you so much for that. And, and I know, because I, I observe it in my own home, any, like anything that is done well, that doesn't just happen. You know that. To be good at what God calls you to do, that doesn't just happen. And good cooking, good baking takes dedication. It takes hard work. It takes effort. It takes attention to detail. And that's true of our prayer life, too. The right ingredients are, are very important to all this in terms of meals, cooking. You need the right ingredients or it's going to be totally botched. With prayer, too, here are some key ingredients. And they come especially, I, I said something about that before, that question and answer 117. It says, how does God want us to pray so that we will listen, so that he will listen to us? So I, I want to tick off some of these key ingredients that I hope will will spur you on. One, prayer is sincere. That's an ingredient of true prayer. Prayer is sincere. The Bible study says it's from the heart. That means we don't rattle off our prayers without thinking about the words. Our hearts and our minds are actively engaged. And you know, a charge that God made against his people in the Old Testament was that they were honoring him with their lips but that their hearts were far from him. And we don't want that to be said of us. You know, for example, we, we don't want to come to church and sing songs and pray, but our hearts and our minds are far from this place. We want to pray from the heart, sincerely, engage, not just rattle stuff off. Second, prayer is rightly directed. Our Bible study says, Prayer is to no other than the one true God. So you're praying to the right person. Where do we learn about the one true God? Well, we learn about him in his word. So our prayers ought to be informed by who God is and what the Bible tells us. So Bible study, knowledge of God, that goes hand in hand with a vibrant prayer life. Those two go together, and they need to, because prayer is rightly directed. It's to the one true God. Third, prayer is open. Prayer is open. And the, the Bible study says we are to hide nothing. So when we pray, we bear our souls to the Lord. We tell them about our struggles, our worries. We, we tell them about those parts of our lives that are off track, that need to be renewed and changed by the Holy Spirit. It's open. That means we acknowledge our need for God. We acknowledge our sin, our misery without him. Now, he knows this already. So you might as well be open about it. 
There's no use in hiding everything because God knows this. And think about this. There is no need for you to hide anything. God accepts us. God accepts you with open arms because of Jesus. So there's nothing to fear when you open your heart to God. He will free us from our burdens when we lay them at his feet. Fourth, prayer is humble. We humble ourselves in his majestic presence, realizing we do not deserve God listening to our prayer. So in prayer, we always recognize, this is kind of keeping in mind that hallowed be thy name, where the Lord's Prayer starts. We, we recognize that we're approaching the throne of the one who made the universe. All those stars we saw and thought about last week, who is holy and majestic and awesome. Hallowed be thy name. Humility means we, we, we know who he is in comparison to us. Humility means we come with nothing to offer but our empty cups that we need to have filled with his grace and his Holy Spirit. Fifth, prayer is confident. We rest on the unshakable foundation that we will be heard because of Jesus. God does hear your prayers, brothers and sisters. He does. And sometimes, sometimes we wonder. Sometimes it's, we don't get the answer immediately. Sometimes we don't get the answer we want. But God hears our prayers. And we know that because of Jesus. He died. He rose again. He, seated at the, he ascended And now he's seated at the right hand of God. The Bible says he makes our requests known to the Father. And through Jesus, we have the right as children to make our requests known before him. The Father hears and listens and answers. Prayer perseveres. Is that six? Prayer perseveres. Prayer keeps at it. Our text in Luke says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. That's not talking about salvation. That's not talking about your first receiving Jesus into your heart. This is talking about prayer. This is about prayer. And it's saying, keep at it. Don't give up. Just like a little three- or four-year-old, keep pulling on the pant leg of your Father in heaven and talking to him and asking him for what you need. There are all kinds of biblical texts that tell us to persevere in prayer. I have a bunch of them in my notes. If you want them later, ask me and I'll share them with you. Prayer has variety. This is I think this is seventh, right? Is G the seventh letter of the alphabet? That's seventh, and then we're going to have one more. Prayer has variety. They say variety is the spice of life. Well, it can definitely be the spice of prayer too. These are some things to think about if you're in a rut of sorts in prayer. We see from the Bible a lot of different ways to pray. We pray in private uh, we talk sometimes about our prayer closet. That's, that's a, a little le- language phrase we use. That's another way of saying pr- our own private prayers. We pray in private. We pray in public like this. We pray in, in smaller groups sometimes with friends or fellow church members. 
We sing prayers. All kinds of the songs we sing are prayers. We pray silently. We pray out loud. There are spontaneous prayers. There are prepared prayers. Sometimes it can be wonderful to use prayers, and you can look these up yourself, even on the internet. We can read prayers and use them at our own, on our own that other Christians have used throughout history. So we, we see variety in the ways. There are all kinds of ways that we pray and can pray. There are also varieties in the posture of prayer. The one we most often do probably is folding our hands. And I, I don't think you, really, you find that one anywhere in the Bible. But it's very appropriate um, because then we don't have any distractions, right? Because our hands can be busy doing things. Folding your hands, it's a wonderful posture of prayer. Another big one in the Bible is kneeling as a prayer posture. A lot, we see a lot of that. Another big one is that we're told to raise our hands, lift up your hands. And we don't see that a ton when we're praying, but where you do see it today more often is in singing and worship. You've seen that, right? And that's, because, and that's appropriate because a lot of our worship songs and hymns are prayers. But it's also appropriate when you're praying on your own, when you're praying at home, when you're praying without music. It shows our praise and acknowledgement of God. It also shows our need for God. That picture of coming humbly before him. Lord, Lord, fill me. I'm empty. I need your grace. I need your Holy Spirit. You can also use variety in how you address God in your prayer. It's easy to say, Lord, and that's fine, but sometimes we can do that in our prayers without thinking, Lord this, Lord that. The fact is, there are many, many names of God in the Bible. Use them. Use those names for God in your prayers. It's going to inspire and enrich your prayer life. And variety will enrich your prayer life and help you and spur you on. Finally, prayer is all-encompassing. What does the Bible study say? Pray, we are to pray for everything we need spiritually and physically. Anything and everything can be included in the prayers of God's people. From praying for the leaders of our world to prayers about every detail of your own life and every detail of the life of your loved ones. We're to pray for everything we need, spiritually and physically. And then listen, our Bible study adds to that. Pray for anything you need as embraced in the prayer that Jesus taught us. So you see that? Pray for anything and everything you need, but then we're given that direction from Jesus himself as embraced in the Lord's Prayer. And that's why we're studying carefully the Lord's Prayer so that we can know what to pray, how to pray. And we're going to continue in that next week together, okay? Amen.